listeners, it's Andrea. Today, Ensign Rowe comes to shake things up. We get on our high horse about some political nonsense, and we ask the question, why does Picard need to go to a barber at all? Stay tuned. Welcome to the TNG Podcast, the number one place in the Alpha Quadrant to geek out about all things Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your co-host, Sharice. I'm your co-host, Andrea. Sharice, today we are talking season five, episode three, Ensign Row. I still, like, my mind is still boggled that we're season five through season five. Yeah, it's weird. Which just, it's, I'm still trying to say, like, season two, episode whatever. Like, yeah. Season Remember five when we were in really season weird. one and we were like, why won't this ever end? <laughs> and it's like, we blinked and we're in season five. Yeah, no, we really did. This episode was written by Rick Berman and Michael Piller and directed by Les Landau. So this is like the all-star big kids cast of like mm-hmm. writers and directors for this episode. So here's what happens in Ensign Row. A new crew member joins the Enterprise in the hopes of tracking down the Bajoran terrorists who attacked a Federation outpost. Um, this is the first introduction we have to a new race of people called the Bajorans, mm-hmm. which I think is very interesting because mm-hmm. they play such a central role in like Deep Space Nine mm-hmm. and like and throughout the rest of the Trekverse, like yep, Bajora is. Th- yep. Yeah. And this conflict between the Bajorans and the Cardassians is how um, the end of TNG happens. And it's how Voyager starts mm-hmm. with this conflict. And mm-hmm. the conflict is kind of resolved i'll say throughout deep space nine resolved in like you know a a terrible bloody war that has lots and lots of destruction yeah Uh, but yeah this is the start of it which i think is really good because we we had the cardassians introduced last season just Mm -hmm. in one episode with those weird cheek mustaches which thank god those so heebie-jeebies right (laughs) yeah and and at first they were kind of like another um villain for the federation kind of like the romulans mm-hmm. then the question is well why do we need cardassians if we already have romulans or why do we need romulans if we already have cardassians yeah so the genius of introducing the bajoran people is that now we have a conflict outside of the federation that very much involves the federation it's kind of like yeah. if we had the klingons fighting anyone else you know besides yes. always with the federation you'd be like oh yeah. okay it adds a whole new dimension to it which is super fascinating yeah, no, I think it's really, really cool. And it's, and it's, I think there's so much like allegorical, mm-hmm. you know, lines that we can draw between the Bajorans and the Cardassians and conflicts that have happened throughout history and are still happening on our planet. And actually the writers did say like, this wasn't like a dig at like Middle Eastern cultures or anything where like, you might see like Israel and Palestine fighting or anything Mm -hmm. like that. They were like, this is just sort of a world cultural historical issue that we have with one group of people annexing land from another group of people and that other group trying to fight to like reclaim their land. Like that's, it's not, it wasn't based off of any like one group. And that's how Um, it feels. It feels like an amalgamation of wars from you know earth history and it feels like it's just taken right out of the pages of Mm -hmm. earth history like oh this is this happened in this battle this happened in that battle this happened with these people this happened in this country totally and so that makes it so compelling and believable because you're just like oh yeah totally all this has happened all this is happening yep and it, it feels even though it's like a horrible premise it feels strangely comforting to know that like other worlds are probably experiencing the same things that yeah. we might be experiencing yeah. and have experienced, right? Where it's like, oh, other worlds are also dicks to each other. Yeah. <laughs> Which isn't a good us. thing, but mm-hmm. it's something that you can unify. It's like humanizing. Um, so I have a little bit of trivia about Ensign Rowe as a as an episode and as a character. Um, Michelle Forbes plays Ensign Rowe. 
This is actually her second appearance on TNG. If you remember back to season four, episode 22, Half a Life, she's the daughter of Timison. And remember, Timison's having second thoughts about this cultural ritual suicide that mm-hmm. they do when they reach 60. And she's like, I'm ashamed of you. And the, the producers and the writers were actually so impressed by Michelle Forbes in this very, very little, like she had like a minute and a half or two minutes of screen time. Yeah. They were so impressed by her that they're like, we want to bring her back, which just goes to show there is no job too small. You know what I mean? Because Mm -hmm. you never know what can lead to something else. Um, I mean, we saw Ashley Judd in the last episode mm -hmm. and she comes back in a couple episodes. Yes, she does. And then also she's Ashley Judd. So like, there you go. Yes, you never I know. know, right? You just never know. Um, now, this episode was actually created to introduce a new recurring character of Ro Laren. This is something very, very common that once a series is very comfortable and, you know, the ball has been rolling for a while, you need to keep things interesting. So you need new characters, but it's also kind of a very dangerous game you play because if you introduce someone who's not universally like loved or polarized, like by not only the crew, but also like the viewers, Mm -hmm. it can kind of put a series into a tailspin. And I'm really glad this didn't happen. So the producers had hoped to add another character who would create some conflict. And they also wanted a woman. So Rick Berman said, um, quote, the other characters in the cast are relatively homogeneous. Some might even say bland. So we wanted a character with the strength and dignity of a Starfleet officer, but with a troubled past or an edge. And I was like, well, you got that. You got yes. a great character. Yeah. So many wonderful things to say about this actress. She is just spectacular. This whole episode, mm, I buy so it. Good. Everything she does, everything she says, like when she's pissed, you feel it. When she's crying, you feel it. Like she yes. was spectacular. And this really goes against um, Gene Roddenberry's original idea back in season one of there's no conflict between the crew members. Like it's yes. all peace and lollipops and rainbows. Um, <laughs> this is the opposite of that. Like we are introducing a character who is all about conflict with other people, who doesn't get along well with others, who doesn't play nicely. And it adds such a lovely spice to the show because you're like, oh, how do people interact with this person who's got an edge? And this is totally different from when they introduced Reg Barkley to the show where he was just really anxious, really afraid of people. So people were kind of irritated by him and then eventually accepted him. This is totally different. This is not like someone who's irritating. This is someone who does not mind a fight. And how are these different characters going to relate to a character who's not sweet and just come sit next to me and let's be friends, but who's actually kind of a little aggressive sometimes, Mm -hmm. which I think is fascinating because now you have to see the other characters have to change their behavior. They have to, they have to adjust to a new personality, which I just think is genius. Yeah. And you have all these other characters who are used to like friendship and lollipop and rainbows Mm -hmm. being met with someone who later in this in, in this episode, Deanna, Troy, and Bev Crusher walk up to her in 10th floor and they're like, do you mind if we sit? And she's like, yes. And they're like, uh, oh, yeah. And they kind of like give each other a little look and walk off. And it's like, how do these non-conflict rainbows and right. lollipop characters mm-hmm. interact with someone who doesn't give a shit about being yep. abrasive? Yeah. Which yep. I was like, ooh, this is interesting. Um, okay. So we open up with Mott. Who's just manhandling Picard. I love this scene so much. <laughs> Honestly, this is one of my favorite Such a episodes. classic. This Such whole episode. Classic. Yeah, this whole episode is one of my favorite episodes. So scene by scene by scene, I was just sitting with a smile on my face. Like, oh, I love this part. Oh, wait, wait. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love this part too. <laughs> like, it just, it's just such a cool, such a cool episode. Like, I love the backstory of the Bajorans. I think we find out more about Ensign Row in this one episode than we find out about Jordy in like five seasons. <laughs> 
there's so much depth here, but this, this beginning with Mott love, love, love. I love how he's just like tossing Picard's head from side to side. Mm -hmm. What the heck is he trimming when Picard is bald? I don't even know. He has like one millimeter of hair around the back of his head. There's (laughs) nothing really to trim. I'm going to be honest. But Mott is trimming furiously and giving him all kinds of advice on how to properly run a starship, which I find hilarious. Yes. Which he's, I love that Mott is like, telling him all the things he did wrong with the Cardassians, basically. Like, if it were me, I would have done this. If it were me, I don't know. I'm just saying. And thankfully, Picard is saved by the bell because Riker's like, Captain, we need you on the bridge. There's some sort of issue with the Cardassians and the Bajorans. And Picard's like, oh, thank God. And he, like, whips off his apron. Gotta go. Gotta go. And I love that as Picard walks out, Mott is like, I told them it was a bad idea to, like, colonize Colonize so close close to the border. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't I know why him. we're not listening to the barber, <laughs> <laughs> which I mean, he's not wrong, but it is very it's funny. Silly, he's, right? He's it's so silly. he's just so like sure of himself and his ideas. And aren't we all that way sometimes where like yes. you see something in the workplace that goes wrong and you're like, I did tell you guys that this was a bad idea a while yeah. ago. I don't know why you weren't listening to me. That's yeah. A, yeah. This is another <laughs> character who's so fun. The character of Mott. Because again, this is like a clashing, not going with the flow type of person, someone who's like irritating because they're coming around telling you how you should do your stuff, but everyone else is too polite and lollipop to say anything about it. They're just like, oh, interesting. Mm -hmm, Yes. Oh, that's, that's fascinating or whatever. Yeah. And I mean, I like that's the part where he's like, Riker was in here last week and he agrees with me 100%. (laughs) Like he's just trying to get backing from the first officer, like get out of here. So well, I th- I feel like that's a classic narcissistic tool where you're like, I've spoken to everybody else and they all agree with me because like they need yeah. that sort of validation to like bolster yeah. their claim. And you're like, my buddy, stick to keeping everybody's ears on straight. Okay. And we'll be fine. Like if you want to run lane. a starship, if you want to run a starship, feel free to enroll in the Academy and do this. But he wants to be, Mott wants to be the ultimate backseat driver. And yes. I got to say, I call, um, I jokingly call my hair gal, my therapist, because she does hair and therapy at the same time. <laughs> they listen. They know everybody's business. The barbershop mm-hmm. is the place to go and gossip and get all the tea on everything that's going on. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm having fun over the summer and going blonde. So it takes a few hours and I'm dark hair, dark skin. So it, it takes a long time to like go blonde. So I'm there for like four hours in a shot when I'm there. So she's telling me all about her life. She knows everything that's going on in my life. They are, they have their finger on the pulse of like what's happening on this whole starship. Mm-hmm. And I love that Mott is like, you know, this thing about Troy and so-and-so, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this happened too. And I talked to Riker and he didn't even know, right? It's like the barber always knows everybody's business, totally. which I think is, is universal, even in Starfleet, even in Starfleet. And I love the bully and makeup. The bully and makeup is just amazing. I love it. I love it. I love yeah. the split down the head. I love that they oh, chose so to make cool. him bald because the last time we saw a bully in, or the first time we saw a bully in, it was a female. And so she had hair. Yeah. So we didn't see how the split went through the scalp, but here with the bald and you see how it goes all the way around and it's just so cool like the colors yeah. are beautiful it's just really cool so we have seen bullion barbers before but this is actually our first introduction to mott which i thought was cool because i was like no that can't be right we've seen but it's actually it's not mott it was somebody exactly. else it's so just some random is, other person we just we just met mott who's like i love what an impact this one character who maybe across the entire series gets like 10 minutes of screen time yes Tops. it's kind of like um nurse nurse agawa yeah, Nurse Ogawa, yeah. You're like, 
we probably only see her like five times, but it feels mm-hmm. like she's been on the show from season one and she's in mm-hmm. every episode. She <laughs> because, just, it feels like family. Yeah. yeah that's she's Mott. just there. Yeah. I know the first time we saw a bully and I was like, we've seen Mott before. And you were like, not yet. I was like, what? Yes. Feels, I mean, it's season five, but it feels like we've seen him forever. Well, that's what great world building does. I think yeah. it just feel, it makes everything feel familiar. So Picard is like, thank God I can get out of my haircut and rushes up to the bridge and finds that Bajorans have sent a message to the enterprise claiming responsibility for the destruction of a Federation outpost. And they're like, until we have a home, no one in this sector will be safe. And it's like, oh, dang, you know, mm-hmm. it feels very classic terrorist and it cuts to credits. And did you notice the, the credits are different? There's a different logo. Oh, I didn't notice because I always skip the credits. Ooh. Okay. So eagle eyed Trek fans might notice that the, the logo is the same, except it has this like swirly kind of warp. It's called the warp effect. So it was only for season five and it was to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Star Trek, the original series. So they added this like warp effect to the logo for the title sequence of season five of TNG only. And then in season six, it's back. Hmm. Um, but they never actually announced like why it was specifically. So it just was like there. And then it was like gone again. And it's like, huh, that's weird. So it's just season five has this different logo, which I was like, cool. and it was just like an Easter egg for people who were on the show and therefore mm-hmm. were in the know. That's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so back from credits, the enterprise arrives at live station alpha, really cool name. Um, the enterprise so many cool names in this episode. Yeah. So many cool, so many cool names and so much cool, like makeup and effects and mm-hmm. like, Oh, just so much cool stuff. Um, they, they arrive at live station alpha and the shot is actually reused shot of Starbase 74 from one, one, zero, zero, one, zero, zero, one. When they come into this, I mean, honestly, you've seen station. one Starbase, you've seen them all like, yeah, I mean, I'm fine right? with that. Yeah. <laughs> they all look the same to me anyways, which by the way, always blows my mind that the enterprise is so freaking huge. Right. It's so huge. Mm-hmm. It comfortably, comfortably houses 1,012 crew members plus colonists that you need to pick up willy nilly mm-hmm. or whatever. And when the Enterprise comes into Starbase, it is dwarfed by this like gigantic thing that seems like it holds millions of people. I was like, this is super cool. Mm hmm. I want to go to a Starbase. <laughs> Come on. It just seems so cool. All of it seems so cool. Um, anyway, so we do learn that the Cardassians annexed the Bajoran homeworld 40 years ago and forced them to roam the galaxy. Basically, everybody has treated the Bajorans like lepers, which is really awful because as Picard kind of tells us later, the Bajorans were like philosophers and painters and artists mm-hmm. and scientists when humans were still dragging their knuckles around, right? Like we haven't yeah. even learned how to walk upright yet. Just so sad. So sad. Yeah. And so so we find out that these people have just been scattered, that they're treated horribly everywhere they go. They have no home. Yeah. They're orphaned as a whole people, as a whole planet full of people. The Cardassians have taken over all of their land and the Federation has not done anything about it because the Bajoran homeworld was right across the border in, and officially it was in Cardassian space. So there was mm-hmm. nothing they could do. However, the Bajora, as they're kind of trying to find a new home, they go on other side, other each Sorry, they go wherever they can go. So they don't really respect this invisible line between the Federation space and the Cardassian space. They just go anywhere they can, anywhere they're allowed so that they can live a new life. And um, as we open up in the space station, we see Admiral Kennelly talking to Picard about this attack 
from the Bajora on a Federation mm-hmm. outpost because this is from the Bajorans who are on this side, on the Federation side of the line. And he's just kind of like, yeah, they're terrorists. Like, yes, we want to, we really want to talk about this issue of them not having a home planet and everything else, but really we needed them to stop attacking our property and then we'll promise to look into it. We'll do something. Yeah. Yeah. And I really appreciated all of Picard's rebuttals where he was like, but they've been hearing promises for 40 years that we're going to quote unquote, look into it. What makes you think that if someone's gone to the point where they're just attacking anything just so they can be heard, what yeah. makes you think that giving them more empty promises is going to do anything? Yes. Why yes. Why on earth would that work? And yes. Kennedy's just like, well, we just need, you know, we'll do it quietly in the background. We just need them to, to calm down and stop attacking. He really has no answer for that question. No, really no, no. answer. But he no. says, you know, Riker kind of um, speaks to Picard through the through the comms and it's just like, um, are we taking on a new crew, man? Like, what's going on? And we come to find out that Kennedy has handpicked Ensign Roe Laren pulled her out of prison and brought her to the enterprise and has assigned her to the enterprise specifically for this mission of finding this terrorist cell leader named Orta and never told Picard anything. He's planned all this out. And Picard is like, what the F? Like, I would appreciate you consulting me before you add people to my crew, especially a prisoner. Understandable. You know, people at all, right. People at all, but especially this person. And Kennelly was just not having any of it. He was like, I picked her. She's in drop it. And so he's like, all right, Riker, just let her come on. And he's like, sir, like, just trust me. I'll explain it later. Just whatever, go with the flow. And I thought, well, you're off to a bad start, Kennelly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We already don't like you. Um, And she does come aboard. Roland beams aboard and she's like, Ensign Roland and reporting for duty. And Riker's like, you will follow the Starfleet uniform codes aboard the Enterprise. And she has to take off her Bajoran earring, which we learn very quickly. It's like, this is a cultural thing. And my first thought was, why Worf gets to wear his baldric deanna has literally never seen yeah. a regulation uniform before like what's the did she- riker's just giving her a hard time yeah, yeah he just uh, straight up doesn't like her and i'm like okay and i understand why like as we learn more you know we already know that riker takes his duty very seriously he takes his responsibility to the to the crew and the ship extremely seriously. And the reason that Rolaren was in prison was because she fucked up in some major way and crew members died. Right. So Riker's mm-hmm. like, no, 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 I'm not all about these second chances. He's not trying to be a lollipop person and yeah. be friendly about it. He's like, you fucked up in a bad way. People lost their lives. And in Riker's book, that is unforgivable, right? There is no coming back from something like that. And so he say, who's to say that this won't happen again on the enterprise. Exactly. And so he is already a not wanting to have her anywhere near the enterprise and B Mm -hmm. she's coming in with some kind of difference, right? Like she's got her Bajoran earring and he's like, he, it feels a little bit like you get pulled over by the police and turns out you weren't actually speeding or whatever. So they're like, um, your taillight is out too. Mm-hmm. It's like, they're just looking for shit mm-hmm. to like cite you on. Right. And yep. that's what he's doing. That's exactly because, what he's doing. Because you know, good and well, if Rolaren had not come aboard with the Bajoraneering, he would have found some other thing to like yep. call her on. He absolutely he would have been like, have. you address me as sir. When you, when you talk to me or something yeah. stupid, he would have said some, something yeah, stupid. He totally would have done that. But um, thankfully he's, yeah. he's given a bunch of crap to row of all people because she's just like, whatever. Like, I don't care about you. Right. So you're like, oh. I don't even want to be here. I know you're, you're trying to, you're trying to make her feel uncomfortable. You got to try harder. Yeah. <laughs> she, she was just came from prison. She doesn't care what you have to say or what you think about her. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and we do learn a couple things very quickly. We learn that in the Bajoran culture, the family name comes first. So when Picard calls her Ensign Laren, because it would be, you know, um, Captain Picard, Ensign Laren, she corrects him and tells him that her name is actually Ensign Rowe. So in our culture, her name is actually Laren Rowe, which is kind of, it sounds odd to my ears because I'm so yeah. used to hearing her as Rowe Laren. Um, so he's like, okay, Ensign Rowe. Um, and sh- he's concerned about her being on board. And she basically does the like, I don't want to be here. You don't want me here. We're stuck with each other. Let's just do this job quickly and get it over with so we can just go our separate ways and storms out. And Picard's like, uh, dismissed. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I love the speech she gives him about why her name, why she should be addressed as Ensign Rowe. Because, um, you know, and of course she has a huge chip on her shoulder and a whole bunch of attitude while she does it. But I like the fact that she's standing up for herself. And when she explains that there are a lot of other Bajorans who have, allowed their names to be mutilated so that they can Mm -hmm. assimilate. I -hmm. will not. And you're just Mm -hmm. like, Ooh, like I have a friend, her name is Angelica, right? So Ah. she, she is Latina. And when you see it on paper, it says Angelica, if you're, if you're speaking English, like that's how you pronounce it, Angelica. But because she's Latina, she works with people to make sure they can pronounce it the way her name is supposed to be pronounced. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when people go, Oh, nice to meet you, Angelica. She goes, Angelica. And she'll mm-hmm. keep doing it until they say it properly. Mm-hmm. And it's just like this row Laren where she's like, it's instant row. That's how you say it. And mm-hmm. she's just kind of making sure that her, her culture doesn't get assimilated or squashed or diluted or erased for the comfort of others, for the comfort yeah. of others. And I really appreciate that about row, especially when we hear later on in her story that she was ashamed to be Bajoran. And now mm-hmm. she's really holding on to who she is similar to Worf, right? Really holding on to who they are. Yeah. And not letting it be diluted. So I love that. And then she storms yes. off in a huff and you're just like, oh, this is going to be a rough. This is not going <laughs> to, this mission. does not bode well. This doesn't <laughs> bode well. Yeah. They have the senior staff meeting and the crew is like putting together this plan to talk to this like Bajoran and Dr. Crusher's like, I've met that Bajoran before. He's really nice. He's very affable, fabulous dancer. Cause it was, you know, some sort of like dancing after, you some know, reception. whatever. Yeah. He's has all this experience with diplomacy. Yeah. Lovely human. And, and I love, and I love that Roe was like, you're wasting your time. The Bajorans do not listen to this man. He is the token Bajoran that people speak to in polite society. And it felt so real to mm-hmm. hear that, right? Yep. Because there is, you know, it feels very much like, you know, you've got the country club that they're like, we accept black people. Look, we've got a black family. And it's like one very in air quotes, safe and polite black family that they're like, see, look at how mm-hmm. tolerant we are. Right. Where it's mm-hmm. like, you're just having a token Bajoran or a Hispanic person or whatever. And I love that row is like the plan is shit. The man has diplomatic, um, like history of, in diplomacy, but no Bajoran listens to him. Mm-hmm. You, they don't want to chit chat. They don't want diplomatic chit chat. And she's like, if you're going to talk with one person, I've got someone for you. Keith Falor. He has no experience in the diplomatic and the Bajorans listen to him. So mm-hmm. this is the guy. And I love how she goes. To. He won't ask you to dance. I just yeah. thought that was so it, to me, it felt like um, <laughs> it, it felt like someone who's of a really high upper class, like a one percenter who's mm-hmm. talking to someone who's like a really low class. Mm-hmm. It, fe- it felt to me like that, where it's just like I, the, the gap is so huge between their understanding of the world. That's how I felt in this scene where Beverly's like, he's a lovely dancer and great with diplomacy. I just felt like, what world are you living in? Yes. And I'm really glad that, and Roe wouldn't have said anything actually, if Riker hadn't rolled his eyes and said, Ensign Roe, 
you have something to say about this plan. Mm-hmm. And then she's she like, like, yeah, yeah, your plan is stupid. It's stupid. Don't <laughs> yeah. do it. And then yeah. Picard was just like, well, all right, then guess we're going to go with Rose plan. Yeah. <laughs> Which data does actually say, do you have somebody better in mind that we could speak to? And she's like, the Bajorans don't want diplomacy. They don't yeah. want to have chit chat. We've been treated like crap, yep. like lepers for generations. Yep. We don't have time for chit chat. We're trying to put blankets on children's beds at this point. There isn't time for dancing at receptions. What the fuck are you talking about? So she does say you can talk to Keith. So they beam down to this planet and Keith does not want to help Picard find Orta, who's the leader of this terrorist yeah. organization. And I love, I love what Keith says to Picard too, when he's just like, yeah, I mean, there's so, there's so many good things that he's going to, that he says, which I'm sure you're going to point out, but I just appreciate how, you know, in the beginning, he's like, you're using, you're using the proper use of my name. I appreciate that. You know, mm-hmm. Picard's just like Ensign Rowe taught me. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to learn how to be respectful. He's really trying. Picard is really trying, which I also appreciate. And that's why we love him. And that's why we love him. And Keith says, we would never, you know, we wouldn't attack you because you're innocent bystanders, but I'm not going to help you because you're innocent bystanders. Mm-hmm. He's been doing nothing. And he mentions the whole, there's some invisible line in space yep. across which if atrocities happen, then you can turn a blind eye. Mm-hmm. And that was really, that was really hard to hear. It was hard to hear. And I actually noted that as well. Cause it's like, where were you when the Cardassians have raped our land and our people and killed and slaughtered us by the millions because it happened on the other side of an invisible line. You guys can be like, mm, it's not in our jurisdiction. And that is something that I think hits a kernel of truth in human nature, where if it's not happening to us, it's not really happening. And that is something that I've always taken deeply personally when people are like, well, it's not my place to say it's like, then whose place is it to say whose mm-hmm. place is it then to do? Because if you have the luxury of saying, it's not my place to say, you're probably in the position of power where you should be doing something. Right. And it's just that when I, when he said that to Picard, he wasn't being disrespectful or abrasive. He was just stating it as a fact. And I was like, Ooh, yes. Like this is the stuff that these people need to hear. Like people in position of privilege and power who are like, well, it's not my place. It's not my place. To say. It's not my place. To say. It's like put on your big kid pants and do something about it. I understand it's not like diplomatically okay to do, you know, crossing into Cardassian space to stop atrocities. But like if Starfleet doesn't stand for that kind of stuff, then like, what do you stand for? It's the, yeah. The, it's a- just the, the, like, it's just the hypocrisy of like, mm-hmm. Well, it happened in your space. So like, we can't do anything about it. It's just so comfortable. It's Mm -hmm. so political. It's so comfortable to be like, I would have done something, but you know, it was on the other side of the street where I'm not allowed to go. It's like, oh yeah, fuck you. Yeah. Or (laughs) that kind of thing like makes me so mad. Yeah. As Keith said, it's um, convenient. He goes, Mm -hmm. that's very convenient. And he goes, well, then why are you here now? Oh, because a Federation outpost got attacked. Mm -hmm. So you're here trying to, now you want to give us blankets and emergency supplies and be our friends because a federation outpost got attacked and you want to know who attacked your people because you need something from me yeah Yeah. and it's really it's hard too because and i think especially as americans you know we our country is known of like for getting in other people's business like we are always going around trying to police the whole world and trying to make the whole world live exactly like us and think like us and work like us and everything needs to be a democracy like ours and you have to have the same belief structures as ours and the same mm-hmm. values as ours which i think is wrong mm-hmm. at the same time you know when there are atrocities and stuff we're like we should step in and do something and it's like you kind of can't have it both ways either you're in everybody's business or you're not and i think this is a really sticky situation here where it's at the federation like are you in their business or are you not and if you are mm-hmm. then you need to be in it and if you're not then you need to be out of it and this kind of like 
well, we're only going to step in if it affects us personally. If it affects one yeah. of our outposts, we'll step in. But if it affects yeah. hundreds of millions of Bajorans, we don't really do anything. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, we'll promise to look into it quietly in the back, in the behind the scenes with the Cardassians. Mm-hmm. Like, come the F on. Yeah. It's just, it's just a really sticky situation. And Picard does offer all these emergency supplies and blankets and whatnot. And so Keeve is like, I'll keep my keep my ears open. If I hear anything, I'll let you know. And he kind of walks away. And you have this moment between Picard and Roe where Picard's like, I don't know, I think that went well. Like maybe that that helped. And Roe was like, no, it was the blankets. The blankets are what helped. He doesn't care about exactly what you said earlier, Andrea. It's not about diplomacy and strategy and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's about freaking blankets. Like they need mm-hmm. blankets, they need food. And mm-hmm. this is what we've been crying about for the last 40 years. This is what we've been begging for. This is what we've been hoping for. We could care less about your one stupid little outpost. Yeah. You know, all of us have lost our homes. Right. And I, and I yeah. kind of felt that too. I was like, why would they care? Why would they want to help you? Why would they care? There, there's nothing in it for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I no. don't know. You're only here to like, quote unquote, provide aid when it's something that you need from me. Yep. Yep. But if this Federation outpost had never been hit or any lives would have been lost that were like your own people, you guys would have known about the atrocities and just warp sixed right out of here because it has nothing to do with you. Yeah. Right. So it's like, that is what really, that's what bothers me a lot. And that's why I could never, never have a career in the diplomatic because I'm way too blunt and upfront with people about that kind of stuff. And I will put myself in a bad situation to do something that I think is right um, and even if it means war. like, yeah, and causes <laughs> war probably. Yeah. yeah. And then I'd be court-martialed. And now, it's kind of scary too, because like what worked was the terrorist attack. The terrorist attack worked to get the Federation's attention. Mm-hmm. And this is why terrorism is a thing because it that's works. why it's effective. Yeah. And that's, and that's really, I think the scary, a scary, ta- one of the scary take-home messages from this episode. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. Now, Ro goes back up to the enterprise and she's sitting in 10 Ford and she's absolutely stewing. And Deanna and Beverly come over and they're like, do you mind if we join you? And she, they're very friendly and polite to her. And she's like, I do mind. And they're like, oh, okay. Then now we see Jordy kind of in a corner and he's busy shit talking Rhoda Guinan, um, where he's like, you know, people died and she doesn't even belong in the uniform as far as I'm concerned. And it's not like Jordy to be shit talking. That's it's really not, but it's really not. He, he goes you know, off the deep end. Sure. And of course, Guinan is like, really all these things she seems like someone i want to get to know and i'm like oh this is just why we love you so much guy yep. and she comes over and she goes am i disturbing you and rose like yes kind <laughs> of like good you look like you want to be disturbed and i love that rose like don't take this the wrong way but i really want to be left alone and kind of like no you don't because you would have had a drink in your quarters alone if you wanted to be left alone the only reason you come to 10 forward is to be around other people so what's up girl? <laughs> so why are you, why are you here? You know? Mm-hmm. And I love this interaction. Hey, Rob, they have. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. I love the interaction they have. And I love how their relationship develops over the time it's that row is really with beautiful. the enterprise. It's so cool. And you know, Guinan is like, this seems like the start of a very interesting friendship. And Rose like, I never stay anywhere long enough to be friends. Like she is just martyring herself left mm-hmm. and right to be like, I've got baggage and it's deep and it's heavy and it's dark right and Guinan's like oh look a rainbow right like Mm -hmm. Guinan's like I'm not having it with this and she says too late you just made one excuse me and she departs and I love that Ro is left with this kind of like bemused confusion on her face like what just just happened did I just make a friend and I I immediately thought 
what kind of cool, dark outcast do I need to be in order for Guinan to find me interesting enough to want to be my friend? <laughs> what kind of atrocities do I need to commit so that Guinan will be my friend? <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. There's just some, there's some Guinan magic going on here. And I love how she kind of just swoops so in, has this great conversation and swoops out. She doesn't overstay her welcome. It's just like, it's just the right amount. It's the right amount of Guinan to keep you wanting mm-hmm. more. And then she's oh. gone and you're just like, oh, great. I do not have that skill. I don't no, People are like, I don't Andrea, either. will you please leave? And I'm like, I'll stay another 40 minutes. And they're like, no. Yeah. I think it <laughs> takes like many, many, many hundreds of years to learn this skill. If we're going by guidance um, clock. So right after she leaves as, as, as Roe is kind of like, what the heck just happened? She gets some secret communique from Admiral Kennelly, which she goes to take in her quarters. And he's just, you know, and she's like, the plan is going exactly as you expected. So at this point, you're kind of like, what? what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. And you don't know you. So, you know, something shady is going on in the background. You have no idea. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it is it going to help the Federation? Like what exactly is going on? Which mm-hmm. was interesting in the beginning when Kennelly was pushing Roe onto the Enterprise, like you're going to take Roe and you're going to like it. I just thought yeah. like, why Roe? Because Picard said there's plenty of Bajorans in Starfleet. Pick any one of them because he said the reason why I'm picking her is because she's Bajoran. And he was and Picard was like, pick any one of the other ones who haven't been in prison. Like, pick any of those. And Kennelly was just yeah. like, no, it has to be Roe. It's all decided. And I thought to myself at the beginning, why does it have to be Roe? Why is he so hellbent on it being exactly. her? Exactly. And then here, when you see this shady, like secret call, you're like, okay, there's something, something about her that is underhanded, maybe, or sneaky that he couldn't trust the other. Bajorans with yes. because they're this too, is, like clean. this is where good yeah this is where good strategy comes in like if you are going to do something shady which we don't know what's happening but we you know when when the admiral is contacting an ensign secretly to get a sit rep it's like uh what's going on here so we mm-hmm. don't know what's going on but we know there's something shady and if I were doing something shady which I'm not super good at but if I were to do something shady I would need to find someone who's got something to lose or Mm. is equally as shady as me and is motivated, motivated by that same kind of shady behavior Mm -hmm. in order to have them like, go, go do this thing I need them to do. Right. I would not find data who's squeaky clean to do anything, bring him in on my plans and then be like, Oh yeah, I'm not going to do that. Cause that's super shady. It's like, dang it. You know, cause then you also (laughs) can't risk being exposed. Mm -hmm. Right. By like, confiding in like the wrong person who's going to spill all your secrets. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's obviously something going on, but we're not super sure what. And, um, Keith did tell Picard, like, look, you could go to this moon, um, Valor three, where like, it seems like Orta and his ilk might be like hanging out and the team assembles to leave, but Roe is nowhere to be found. And it feels like shades of Barkley where it's like, where's Barkley? He's late again. Like he's not here, you know, and the computer is like, Shades oh, of no. Barkley, by the way, is a book I would not read. <laughs> <laughs> it would either leave you an anxious mess or I don't know. I don't know what. Yeah. Shades of Barkley. Um, sounds like a really gross cocktail, <laughs> like real murky and unsatisfying. <laughs> um, turns out that that row is not there because she beamed down to the moon like six hours ago. So they're like, what the F is going on? And the team beams down and Picard and Worf are taken hostage immediately. Yes, like it takes about surrounded. It takes about 30 seconds for them to be yeah. captured and another 30 seconds for Data and Troy to come around the corner and be like, uh-uh. <laughs> and, and yeah, and then Orta 
has a has a face to face with Picard while they're all surrounded by his armed guards. And this scene, oh my gosh, like Orta, wow, he he's got this cloth yes. wrapped around his face. Yep. And you're kind of like, I don't know, maybe it's like deserty or something. But then he un- unwraps the cloth, and you see his face has been ruined by like acid, like it's been mm-hmm. melted and stuff. And he says, um, "I've been mutilated by the Cardassians." And as he's saying it, you hear this this tinny mechanical voice coming out of him. And you wonder like, what, why does his voice sound Mm -hmm. like that? And he removes the cloth all the way. And you see, he's got this voice box attached to his throat. And he says his vocal cords were also cut by the Cardassians. And you're seeing just a little snippet of the horrors that he's experienced Mm -hmm. for no Mm -hmm. other reason than the fact that he's Bajoran for no other reason. And you're just like, and, and he says, there's something shady going on here. And I don't know if you're a part of it on purpose, Picard, or if you're just a patsy, I don't know, but I have to protect myself. And you just see Roe in the back, just like, just kind of like looking like, mm, mm-hmm. you know, and Picard's <laughs> super pissed and just like, don't listen to anything she said. She's trying to ruin diplomatic relationships between us. And Orta has no time for any of this nonsense. He's like, somebody's after me. That's all I know. And I am very up on protecting myself. That's what, mm-hmm. I, that's what I'm worried about. Yeah. And whatever else is going on between you guys, I could really care less. And this, yeah, it's, this is a, he said, she said, and I don't care. I don't care. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen this episode for a very long time, but when I heard the word Bajoran and Orta, my memory immediately went back to being a little kid and seeing Orta for the first time with the mechanical voice that's, Mm -hmm. you know, artificially created in the melted face. It's such a like memorable Snippet, the, the special effects team, the makeup team, they did such an outstanding job on this that like this one character that we never see again, I think, mm-hmm, no, I don't think we, we don't. ever see Orta again, is so freaking memorable. It's out. It's just outrageous. Orta does say, I'll tell you, I don't know what's going on, Picard, but I'll tell you this. Bajorans were not responsible for the attack on the Federation outpost. So it appears that there's some sort of conspiracy afoot. Right. And Picard's like, what? Which is like, okay, <laughs> things are starting to sort of the, the pieces are starting to click together. Mm-hmm. Of course, Picard is like, Ensign Rowe, you are confined to quarters for the rest of this mission. And then I want you to fuck off my ship the minute mm-hmm. we get back to Starbase 74 or wherever, wherever we came heck, from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so she's confined to quarters and Guinan comes to visit her and she's like, hey there, it's me, Guinan, you know, from the bar. I tend bar and I listen. And she listens to Rowe talk about how she doesn't know how to get out of the situation. And I love that Guinan is just a woman of few words, but seriously huge impact, like disproportionate to the amount that she speaks. Mm-hmm. She's like, you know, many years ago, I found myself in a really bad place and I probably would still be in that bad place if I hadn't trusted one man. And it's Picard. So he brings Roe to Picard's ready room and Picard is like, what the hell is going on here? Get out of my ready room. Get out of my chair. Get out of my life. Yeah, you know? exactly. And he's like, I don't know how you got in the middle of this guy. And what I loved about what Guinan said to Roe back in Roe's room was that they basically are kindred spirits that Guinan's people have been displaced. They were displaced by the Borg mm-hmm. and they scattered all over the universe. And now they're very isolated and it's a similar thing, but different with the Bajora. And, um, I, I really like, I hadn't appreciated that until she said that. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. They both you're have right. similar, a similar backstory of being completely displaced and having no home, which mm-hmm. is huge. So when they come to the ready room, 
Picard's just like, Guinan, I don't know how you got yourself in the middle of this. What are you, mm-hmm. what do you have to do with anything going on right now? Like you mm-hmm. weren't on the planet. You weren't in the mission. You should have been a 10 forward. What the heck is going on? And Guinan just stops him mid sentence and says, she's my friend. She can go mm-hmm. back to her quarters when she's done telling you her story, but she's my friend. And Picard shuts his mouth mm-hmm. and it's just like understood. And this is what makes Guinan such an incredible character, Sharice. She moves men of granite with three words and a look. She's mm-hmm. my friend and gives Picard the look and walks out. And it's like, Jesus Christ. One of the, one of the things that I know about myself is I'm very, very chatty and very talkative. And sometimes it can be a superpower, but sometimes I go, God, I wish I didn't talk as much as I did. I wish I had more impact with fewer words. So I look at someone like Gein and I'm like, how did you do that? Mm-hmm. How, you know? Somebody who has complete, you know, Picard's complete faith is just, you know, that is a very, very privileged position to be in. Yeah. Um, and and Ro does sit down and she comes clean. She's like, Admiral Kennelly approached me with this mission. He knew that the diplomatic negotiations would fail. So he was to offer or test something that Picard couldn't weapons, ships, supplies to fight the Cardassians. Picard's like, I'm sorry, I'm finding this impossible to believe. But luckily, she's like, well, the Admiral has been in contact with me since the beginning. And so there are subspace communication logs that that could prove this. Just like, ooh, thank God. Yeah, she's like, well, they can prove that part. They can prove that we've been in communication. I can't prove anything else, Mm -hmm. but I'm telling the truth. And I wouldn't have said anything except for that weird bartender of yours has a way of getting to people. And she said Mm -hmm. you were her friend, Mm -hmm. so I could trust you. And I just, I thought that was beautiful too, that she was like, I don't know who to trust. I couldn't tell anybody, but Guinan got to me and she told me I need to tell you. So this is why I'm coming clean about everything. So really Picard has no choice, but to believe her because she wouldn't have even said anything. Originally she wasn't going to say anything. So Picard, even though it sounds outrageous to believe that an admiral would go against everything that the Federation stands for by real, like they break the prime directive all the time. All but the they time. Don't break it by giving by arming anyone in a conflict. They don't yes. do that. That's like yeah. really what the prime directive really, really is. The one that they hold by is like they don't give weapons to people in a conflict. They don't. So this is like a huge violation. But even though it's hard to believe that an admiral could be responsible, her story is so outrageous that it has to be true. Yeah. And he's just like, all right, like we we've got to do something about this. And Roe tells this story about being in the camps when she was a kid. Mm, this story yeah. gets me every time, yeah, yeah. every time. If you haven't seen this episode in a while, or if you haven't seen this scene, go back and watch it. It is heartbreaking. She tells a story about seeing her father be tortured to death before her eyes. The, the Cardassians brought her in as a little girl so that she could watch her father be tortured to death on purpose. I mean, it's just this level of cruelty that is nauseating. But what she says is she said, when Admiral Kennelly came to me with this plan, I had to, I serve the Federation, but I am Bajoran. When there was Mm -hmm. a chance to defend my people, I had to do it. And this actually explains why later on at the end of TNG, Roe ends up leaving the Federation to join the Maquis, which are a resistance put together of all kinds of people, including Federation people that are specifically fighting against the Cardassians because they're just sick of their crap. And how they're mistreating the Bajorans. And so they go to war in this ragtag rebellion and Roe leaves and joins them. And it's for this reason. She serves the Federation, but she is Bajoran and she is going to help her people. I just love this character. 
Like she's yeah, got a chip she's, on her shoulder. She's angry, yeah, but she's got major. lots of reasons. And she is, she's just solid on her beliefs. She's just, she solid. is. Yeah. She's very, very convicted on like, you know, strongly convicted on like what she believes is right and wrong. And I really love that. She has a different way of going about it. She's very much like cowboying shit together as she does it, but she's got the same like moral compass as like Riker or Picard or Worf, mm-hmm. like people who strongly, strongly believe in like the difference between white, right and wrong. And, you know, Picard is a wonderful captain and a skilled diplomat and Roe doesn't have time for that kind of thing. And I think that diplomacy is a very privileged position to be in, right? It's very privileged where like there isn't such imminent threats that like you have to act now, like you can kind of smooth things out and politically and kind of do a behind the scenes and meet and greet and all this bullshit. Whereas like Keith was like, I don't have time for this. Children are literally freezing to death at night, every night. So we need blankets. We need food. We need soup. We need pillows. We need clothes there. You have to be like 50 levels of safety before you can start even approaching Mm -hmm. what diplomacy is like. Right. And I like that we have this group of people who have a beautiful and storied intellectual past as like artists and philosophers and deep thinkers and architects and builders of worlds, right. Who are reduced by circumstance to scraping by a living and relying on terrorism to make their point and get them, get their voices heard so that Mm -hmm. they can get a home. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just something that has been happening throughout our history as people. And it's very sad and it's also very relatable, right? Um, now Picard does have no choice but really to just like trust Ensign Rowe. Um, and so, you know, they tell Admiral Kennelly that they've successfully negotiated with Orta and that they're gonna escort Orta and his crew to, to Valor 3. And these Kardashian warships cross in a Federation space and intercept the Bajorans, and they intend to destroy the Bajoran ship. And the Cardassians are like, You have one hour to surrender the Bajorans. And as Captain Picard is ought to do, he's like, hey, Admiral Kennelly, this is a situation. What should I do? And Kennelly's like, I really love to. Oh, no, it's great. I love how he's like, they seem to know our plan, our destination and everything I told you. I don't know how this happened before we left. How would they possibly know this stuff that I only told you? And also and also, you know, you can contracted this Cardassian flu virus from some of your buddies last weekend. So that was kind of interesting. And Kennelly's like, you must protect the Cardassian Treaty at all costs, even if it means sacrificing the Bajorans. And so the Enterprise is like, okay, I guess I got to move away from the Bajoran ship. And the Cardassians go in for the kill and they blow the ship up immediately. But Picard reveals to Kennelly that no one was aboard. It was controlled from the ground and the communications were done through like a relay aboard the ship. And Kennelly's like, it really, it kind of shows like what a moron he is. (laughs) Cause Kennelly's like, I don't, why would you do this? Like they're terrorists. And he's like, yeah, think about it. The Bajoran's equipment is old and beat up. It's not even warp capable. They could not have attacked a Federation outpost in another system. And Kennelly's like, oh, so wait a minute. And Picard's like, think about it. This was staged by the Cardassians in order to get the Federations involved in cleaning out the Bajorans. The Cardassians maybe don't have the resources or the whatever, I don't know what, to get rid of the Bajorans as a threat. So they decided to rope in the Federation to do the dirty work for them, which is very, very clever, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kennelly's like, but I 
But and Picard's like, just turn off the, just turn them off. Yeah. And Kennelly, <laughs> Kennelly's actually behind this whole thing. Like he really believes that the Bajoran are, that the Bajoran were responsible. He yes. really believes that they're the terrorists. He really yep. believes the Cardassians are the good guys in this scenario. Because earlier when they're talking in the ready room, he tries to, you know, and Picard's like, I don't know what to do. How are we supposed to protect this ship and also protect the treaty? And Kennelly's just like, well, you know, if you, if you need to leave and that's your call, I'm totally going to support you. And Picard's just like, no, no, I'm not going to leave. I'm going to protect them at all costs. This is what we agreed mm-hmm. to do. This is what we're going to do. And then mm-hmm. he gets angry and he goes, I'm giving you a direct order to withdraw. And you're just not seeing the big picture and you've lost perspective and all the stuff. He starts attacking Picard because he's not going mm-hmm. with the plan. And mm-hmm. Picard's like, I just see a different big picture. I see you meeting with your Cardassian buddies. I see them saying, let's get rid of our Bajoran problem. I see you going along with it. And, you know, this whole thing, it doesn't make any sense. This is, this is just a Cardassian conspiracy. And mm-hmm. that's when Kennelly is just like withdraw or else. So he's like, all right. So he's with, <laughs> he withdraws, everything gets blown up. And then on the view screen in front of everybody, Kennelly calls back to be like, all hands were lost. That's so unfortunate, you know, trying to pretend to be sad. And then Picard tells him like, no, there was nobody even on that ship. I just did that to show so that I had proof that this is the length you were willing to go to. Mm-hmm. To make this conspiracy happen, Orta wasn't on that ship. Orta's outliving his life, and he's going to keep doing what he's been doing. Mm-hmm. You know, like we're we still have not interfered in this conflict in any uh, way. Yeah, exactly. As you said, this is not our concern. So no, it's not our concern. Know. And he's like super pissed. Yeah. So later on, as he, sh- oh, you know, hold on. Sorry, sorry. Hold on. Give me a second. My mom just showed up with groceries to drop off. Let me just grab them from her real okay. quick. So at this point um, where that's kind of resolved and we don't totally know what's going to happen, but we do see Picard and Roe on back in the camp. Uh, we're mm-hmm. back in Keith's camp mm-hmm. and um, Roe says, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen to Admiral Kennelly after all of this? And Picard says, probably a court martial. I don't know. And I love this line where Roe says, well, if he gets sent to the same stockades that I was at, tell him to request a room in the West Wing because the East Wing gets really hot. I just thought yep. that was so great. Yep. Like, what a perfect ironic twist. Yep. And we discover why Admiral Kennelly was so keen to get Roe because she was the perfect Patsy. She's mm-hmm. already in prison. She's got nothing to lose. This The only reason she did this mission was because it was better than prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also think, too, like, what a fucking moron Admiral Kennelly is. Like, when you are in a privileged position, you must do your due diligence. Some Cardassian buddies were over for a barbecue one weekend and they just told you that there was this Federation outpost that got hit. And you're like, OK, I'll sacrifice people's lives and their safety and all this. Sh-. It's like, no, 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 no. The fact that Picard was like, think about it. The Bajoran ship is old and busted. They're not warp capable. How are they supposed to get to another star system? Just that alone should have been like, oh, wait a second. Hold mm-hmm. on. Right. But the Let fact alone that, like, attack it. 
Yeah. Yeah. The fact that you're in this privileged position of power and you haven't done even the smallest bit of due diligence, you're an idiot and you should not be wearing those pips. Take those pips off, man. <laughs> Give me those pips. <laughs> like an idiot. Yeah. I was like, what a dumbass. And like, and they did cast, I'm not sure which actor they got to play Admiral Kennelly, but they got an actor who did a really wonderful job because mm-hmm. when it was explained how it was impossible for the Bajorans to do this, he just sort of looked like that wind had been taken out of his sails where he's like, Oh, oops. <laughs> and I was like, how did you become an admiral in the first place? Seriously, Is your daddy an admiral too? Is that how, cause that's how it's, that's we how have, it's we have no idea, but this yeah, I, lo- like nepotism I love right this, here. <laughs> I love this plan between Picard and Roe. And I like when Kennelly was like, whose plan was this? Was this yours, Picard? He's like, actually, no, it was Rose, but I fully endorsed it. Like, yep. I just, I just love the attitude of like, oh, you're getting mad. Well, I'm going to get more and more calm because our plan mm-hmm. clearly worked. And it was, a, mm-hmm. it was a brilliant plan. It was a brilliant plan <laughs> because like Rose said, she didn't know who to trust. She didn't know what was real. And as the plan's unfolding, Picard's like, yeah, I thought something like this would happen. He kind of, once he knew what was going on behind the scenes, he was, he already put all the pieces together and was like, not only do I know what's up, I know how to entrap the people who are responsible and make mm-hmm. sure we get it all on record mm-hmm. so that they can pay for what they've done without just yep. having a bunch of innuendos. Because if Roe said something, nobody would believe her, which is another no. reason Kennelly picked her. Nobody would listen to her. Yes. No one would believe her. Yes. It's the person, you know, I don't know about you, but like, I, I love documentaries and um, I was watching this fabulous documentary like 20 years ago about um, a man who worked for the U S government, who was high up in like CIA, FBI level stuff and was finding some like huge conspiracies that were like real and they were happening, but he was like low enough that they were able to discredit him and just kind of make him go away and like wiped out like his whole life and his bank accounts and everything. So he like lost everything. And he basically was just like reduced to the equivalent of like a man with a sign yelling on a street corner. Right. Mm -hmm. We're like, Mm -hmm. nobody, nobody believed him. Nobody listened to him. And it wasn't until years later that was like, Oh yeah, this was like, I think it was like the Iran Contra like arms deal, you know, like secretly selling arms to like, you know, Iran and all this other stuff that, he was totally right. And when you have somebody who's low enough, you can just sweep them, them under away. The rug. Yeah, yeah. You can sweep them under the rug and then nobody else will listen. And I feel so bad for that poor man who basically died like penniless, lost his family and all this stuff because he was just trying to do the right thing and like expose mm-hmm. the truth of this like situation. So yeah, Roe would have been the perfect fall guy for this, mm-hmm. but instead like that strange bartender became her friend and put her in touch with someone that she trusts so that it, no, it worked out really well. And I love that Ro was like, all right, so it's going to be a few weeks until you get to this other star base. I'll hop a ride somewhere else and get back to whatever I was doing. And Picard's like, you know, I see large, like splashes of like potential greatness in you. If you work hard, you know, it's not an easy path, but I think you could really be like one of the great Starfleet officers um, and it would be challenging. And she's like, no, no, no. you're out of your gourd, buddy. Like, there's no way I'm, I'm going to be doing yeah, this whole she Starfleet says, thing. She says the Starfleet uniform doesn't quite fit. And I think we both know that. Mm-hmm. And Picard's just like, and she's right. Mm, it doesn't fit the way she is. And that's what he says. He goes, mm, yeah. I don't know. We can just, you know, with a little bit of molding, a little bit of training, you could be one of the best officers there out there, mm-hmm. you know, cause I think you have a lot that you can learn from Starfleet. And she says, I always thought Starfleet had a lot. It can learn from me. Mm-hmm. Picard's like, 
that attitude is something that's very common amongst the best officers in Starfleet. Right. So it's, thank it's, you for proving my point. Exactly. It's this like <laughs> arrogance that you it's it's not being a yes man who just follows along with the plan and just listen to whatever people say. It's somebody who thinks for themselves and brings their own unique talents to the table. Those are the ones who really shine mm-hmm. as officers. Those are the ones who shine as leaders. Those are the ones who change the world. 100%. And you have that. You just need the other stuff. You need the discipline and all the other stuff. But I think yeah. this could be a, a really good fit. And Rose just like, you know, like a really good challenge. And Rose like, well, I never turn away from a challenge. And she goes, mm-hmm. there's only one um, one thing that has to happen in order for me to say yes to this. And he's like, what is it? And she puts on her Bajoran earring that Riker made her take off because he was just mm-hmm. being a dick. Mm-hmm. And Picard just smiles and they beam up. And, you know, mm-hmm. she's going to be able to wear her earring if she wants to, <laughs> just yes. like everybody else on the ship. Well, there were a couple of things. <laughs> yes, exactly. There were a couple of things. I was like, girl, where'd you get the earring from? It was it in your hand this whole time know, you were right? talking? Because we, we know, know you there's have no, no pockets. pockets. There's no, no pockets. pockets. There was also a very interesting little moment when they do first beam down to that like colony. Mm-hmm. And she um, looks down at this like, you know, little refugee girl who's mm-hmm. like probably six or seven. Mm-hmm. And she takes off the jacket of her uniform and puts it around that girl. And I was like, oh, now we know what's under the uniform. It's like a tank top kind mm-hmm. of a thing. So it's like, oh, we've never seen that before. Costuming had to work very, very closely with Michelle Forbes for this moment because there's no obvious front closure to the uniform. So what they ended up doing was creating kind of like a jacket um, that she was only shown from behind taking it off. So you wouldn't see like how that closure would happen in the front because oh. it doesn't actually have a front closure. If you oh, look yeah. at the no sweater, there's no zipper. Although... I did notice, perhaps for continuity, I'm not sure, when they all assembled in the transporter room and they were like, where the fuck is Roe? Like, and the, and the transporter chief on duty is like, oh, she beamed down six hours ago. He had a very obvious zipper in the front of his uniform. And it was the sort of back and forth of like Picard talking to him and the chief talking back. So I had mm-hmm. these like different frames uh, to reference. And I was like, look, look, he's got a zipper on his, but Picard doesn't. And and like Rikers doesn't, but the Chiefs did. That's weird. So I was kind of eyeballing a lot of this episode from a costuming perspective. Where I was like, why do you have this like obvious black zipper down the front and nobody else does? So yeah, they had to work out this sort of special way for her to kind of take off this jacket because they wanted her to like continue the tradition of like, she's made it out of this camp and now she's mm-hmm. like providing for those, mm-hmm. you know? And I thought that was actually really, really sweet. And I love that scene too, because it shows that she is human. Like she has a heart. Mm-hmm. She's not mm-hmm. human. She's Bajoran, but it shows that she has a heart Yeah. because so far what we had seen of her to that point was just this hard edged, angry woman mm-hmm. with a chip on mm-hmm. her shoulder who yeah. hates everything and everyone. But this act of compassion shows, Oh, she doesn't hate everything and everyone. She just doesn't have time for this nonsense of yeah. we were at a lovely cocktail reception and having a wonderful little waltz. She just doesn't live in that world. Yeah. She lives yeah. in a world of, of misery and pain and fighting for your life and mm-hmm. refugee camps and torture. And she is a survivor. She's kind of like Tasha Yar, but more believable, mm-hmm. right? Because Tasha Yar didn't seem to have a lot of battle scars emotionally. You wouldn't know about her past until she casually mentions the rape gangs. And they're mm-hmm. like, oh, crap, you know, but with with Roe, when she mentions her background, you're just like, oh, I, I believe it. Like, she doesn't even have to say what happened in the past for you to know some stuff went down. Mm-hmm. But I really love how this scene humanizes her and shows that she is capable of compassion mm-hmm. and tenderness and kindness and everything else. Yeah. Um, in context. She's yeah. Not no, a lollipop. Absolutely. She's not just going to be not a lollipop. Yeah. She's not part of the lollipop guild. 
Um, so my final thoughts on this episode is it's a really great intro to a very, very polarizing character who's going to mm-hmm. create just this great like conflict and kind of grit. You know, she's, a, she's everybody's kind of, she's a grit and everybody's oyster, you know, just an <laughs> irritant, you know, but I think that, you know, major, major snaps to the writing team who did a very dangerous and scary thing of introducing a new polarizing character into a very comfortable cast that's already mm-hmm. family. And people are very, very reluctant to like who you're going to let into the family. And they did it so well that not only did it not ruin the show, it made it better. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. What are your final thoughts on this? Yeah, I love this episode. This is one of my favorite episodes of TNG. I love the world building in this episode alone. I think mm-hmm. it's so incredible. And I feel like I've experienced so much through this one episode. Mm-hmm. The Bajoran are real. Like they are real. Everything about them is real. And yeah, it's it's extremely impressive. We don't yet see the horrors of the Cardassians here. We we kind of hear about them. Yes. But later on, I think this is also a season five when Picard gets like kidnapped and tortured. I think it's mm-hmm. season five, might be season six. I think so. I think it is, but I'm not 100%. Yeah. yeah, it's it's coming up soon. And then when we see the Cardassians torturing Picard, you're just like, yes, like it makes so much sense because of this episode. Like they could pretty yeah. much do anything at this point. And you're just yeah. like, yep, that sounds exactly like something they would do. Oh, I absolutely. Think the world building was spectacular. And this this episode is one of the reasons why I love Trek. It really takes you out of your world by putting you in a very parallel world mm-hmm. <laughs> where it's different enough to to put you in a fantasy land, but it's similar enough for you to be like, oh my gosh, this happens every single day. And oh yeah, absolutely. About it differently. Absolutely. Well, on that note, we are going to leave Ensign Road to sail off into the sunset with Captain Picard and the crew. Next week, guys, we are talking season five, episode four, entitled Silicon Avatar. As always, thank you so much for nerding out with us and we'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for geeking out with us. Be sure to join the crew at thetngpodcast.com to be the first to know when we do our live shows or host events exclusively for our members. We'll see you next time.